Welcome to Women Leading the Way Radio Show, where each time you'll hear from successful women CEOs, executives, and professionals, where we'll discover how they do what they do to be successful in business. We'll be interviewing women who have overcome big challenges, women who have incredible stories of lessons learned in dealing with adversity. We'll even interview women who have started and grown successful organizations and women who are C-level executives with unique talents and positions. Our goal is to bring successful businesswomen together to share how they're leading the way in business today. Well, good afternoon and welcome to Women Lead Radio, brought to you by Connected Women of Influence. My name is Susan Goodson, and I'm your host of Our Stories Matter. And my belief is that every woman and every person has a story that can help change the world. And the women that I have on my, on my calls are brave women, and I am so grateful that they're willing to, to share with us who they are and where they've come from. I am the mother of three children who struggled with addiction. And so my stories and my guests usually are people who have been there, are still in it. Maybe they love an addict, they are an addict. But I think that so many of us are touched by this disease and there's some shame around talking about it. And I want to break the cycle of shame and bring light to our stories so that we all know that we're not by ourselves on this journey. So... Our leading lady today is my dear friend, Julie. And Julie, I asked Julie to join us today to share her heart. Because Julie has been doing everything she can to change her ways, to create new patterns of behavior, to make amends, and yet there are still some people in her lives who are not forgiving. So then the question becomes, what now? So let's explore the idea about restoring trust when it's been broken. Hey, Julie. Hi, Susan. <laughs> I'm so glad you're here today. Oh, yes, so me are too. You, are you nervous? Very. I do not. I was just telling Susan just a moment ago that I do not speak in front of groups, although I am a talker. I do not speak in front of groups because I fainted years ago and I never stand on a stage or do anything like this. So I'm actually conquering a fear today just doing this. I love it. I love it. One of the things that that Julie and I were talking to before the phone call started was how we let things that happened in the past stop us from, from doing the things we need to do today so that we can tell our stories. You know, it's, you know, if you fainted, you fainted, but that doesn't mean that it's going to happen again. So I'm so glad that you were brave and you showed up today. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell me. I mean, we only have 30 minutes and I'm 64 years old. I'm okay. an alcoholic. I've been okay. married more than once. I okay. have a daughter, 23 years old. I'm single. Um, I am a in-home caregiver at this time for a gentleman with dementia. I was for both he and his wife, but unfortunately she recently passed in August. Okay. So now it's just him. Okay. And I'm working a program to try to stay sober. 
So how did you come upon being a caregiver? That was actually just um, kind of a COVID thing is how it started. I was a, an event manager in a restaurant. I've always worked in restaurants. And then COVID was hitting and everybody was getting laid off. And I pivoted and I was renting a room from a lady at the time. And a girlfriend said, as long as you're going to rent a room, why wouldn't you uh, rent it from my parents and live with them? You know them and it'll feel like family and it'll be a win-win. And she just said, you know, their memories are starting to get shorter and such. Um, as they slowly declining, I started taking on a little bit more responsibility. And a year and a half later, I was their full-time caregiver. So it's something I've never done before. Wow. How's it, how, do you, how do you deal with the sense of loss that you are watching? Because anybody that has dementia... You know, it's like two deaths. It's the death of the mind that you watch and the death of the body. So how do you maintain a certain level of emotional health while you're doing this? Because caregivers can get really, really overwhelmed, involved, um, and forget that they are as important or more important than the person they're caring for. How do you, right. how do you keep a balance? Well, first of all, I, I, when you say caregivers, a lot of people are doing it for their family member, and, and, and it's not their job. I mean, it's, it's they're doing it out of the duty of love and, they, and a right. need. I, this is actually my job, so it's a little different. You know, I'm paid okay. to do this. Um, okay. Secondly, um, I'm, I feel blessed to be able to help them through it. Um, you know, I don't want to go into too much detail, but she, she needed right. a little help of, and such, and, and we built a beautiful trust between us, and um, it, it just felt lovely to be able to help somebody through that time. Mm. thought about it. What if your parents, how would you want them to be treated? And I tried mm. to treat them the same way. Mm. With the grace and dignity, they weren't always like this. Yeah, it does take a special person to be able to do that. Okay, so let, let's go back to your alcoholism. When did you yes. first realize you were an alcoholic? Not until my late 30s. I think there were always signs of it. I mean, I know there were, but it really wasn't until my um, mid-30s that everybody else had calmed down and were getting married and children. And I was still partying. And really? it wasn't fun. Or it was to a point where it was, late into the night and it was usually ended up with me in tears you know it was just pathetic did you have family members that were telling you you know or friends that were making comments about your behavior absolutely sure yep <laughs> so that thing of the, the alcoholics the last to know is true yeah, I don't know if I, if I was the last to know, but, you know, I think I, I knew I needed help and I didn't know what to do. And finally, um, at a Thanksgiving with my family, right after my dad had passed, and we were trying not to have my mom be all on her own. Uh, so we all got together and I was drunk. And the next oh. day they said, you need some help. And I said, yes, I do. And I was in a mm. hospital a few days later. Was it like a 30-day treatment or detox? Yes, or, yep. it was 30-day treatment at Hope Hospital in Newport Beach. Wow, okay. And was that something that you had to pay out of pocket, or did insurance pay for that? Because you hear people insurance say, paid for it. oh, they did, okay. 
Yes, I was at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel at the time. And, you know, it's funny. You always try to mask what you're going through. So I worked really hard at my job, and I was actually employee of the year. So, you know, people didn't know that I had an issue. You know, not people at work. Then I'd come home and drink. Mm. Yeah, it's it's interesting how when you struggle with – well, and it's not just addiction. You know, it's any kind of – what do I want to say? Life challenge. Like if you're in an abusive relationship, you know, you don't want people to know. You mask that. You might have a black eye and say you ran into a doorknob, which we all know is never true. But, you know, it's that whole life. It's the shame. It's that blanket of shame that, that we wear so that nobody outside of us knows what's going on because we're too embarrassed or ashamed to talk about it out loud. Right. And yet, as soon as we start talking about it, you have like all these people going, oh my gosh, that's me too. Oh, that's me too. I went Mm -hmm. to my 50th class reunion and I shared that I didn't make friends easily because I had secrets in my home that my, you know, my dad had a drinking problem and I didn't want anyone to know. And the number of women at that retreat that said, I had those secrets too. But see, nobody ever said anything about it. And so nobody knew. Right. If we would just put it out there, the whole world would go, oh, I'm not the only one. No, I was very fortunate. They they grabbed my insurance card. My sister-in-law's a nurse. She grabbed my insurance card, and they had it all. I was dialed into hoax, and I I went just a couple later. Wow. And how old were you then? 38, 39, right in there. 39. Okay. All right. So we are at our mark where we're going to take a quick moment and recognize one of our supporters and partners. So please stand by and we'll be right back. Women Lead Radio is brought to you today by Connected Women of Influence and our partner, Microsoft. The Microsoft mission is to empower every person and organization on the planet to achieve more. Microsoft believes technology is a powerful force for good and are working to foster a sustainable future where everyone has access to the benefits and opportunities created by technology. Microsoft believes technology can and should be a powerful force for good and that meaningful innovation can and will contribute to a brighter world in big and small ways. Thank you for your support, Microsoft, and to all our sponsors and partners. So now back to our show and our guest, Julie. So, Julie, you got sober, and then you went back out, didn't you? Right. I had over a decade and a half sobriety. Yep. Tell us, tell us what happened. Um. Uh, the first 10 years, I was very involved in a 12-step program, and then the last five or so, I wasn't, and I just got away from it, but it was really such a non-issue. We had alcohol in our home. We served it to our guests. It just wasn't even anything I thought about. Um, I was doing fabulous. I, I really didn't even think about it, and then I got divorced. My daughter was out of the house, and somebody said to me, are you really an alcoholic? They did not ever see me drinking those years prior. And they knew me pretty well, but they didn't never knew me drinking. 
and they said, are you sure? And I was like, ah, you know, maybe I was just depressed. And, you know, it's the typical story, but I really did think maybe I was just depressed. I, I did not think I, I still don't think I was just in denial that I was an alcoholic. Maybe I never believed I really was. I don't know, but I pondered that for a long time and thought, well, if you ever wanted to try, since it's such a non-issue now in your life after all these years, you're not married, your daughter's not in the house, this would be a good time. So we actually set it up where we were going to oh drink. Yeah, it was a planned relapse. Oh, God. <laughs> it's like a relapse party. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was like, well, you know what? Why don't you come over and you can have a couple glasses of wine and you can spend the night and I bet you'll be fine. And so, and I was, and I was the next time we did it, and I was for a few times, and then I wasn't. <laughs> it was such mm. a classic, right out of the book, you know. Mm. Such a silly. And then so, since then, I've just round and round, and I get several months, and then I drink, and then I get two months, and then I drink for a few weeks, and then I get nine months, and I drink once, and I mean, it just, and then it got caught up with me again, and uh, it's just been, it was really hard. Yes. So tell me about the shame that comes with that. Oh, boy. Well, what happened is I actually got into a terrible accident and hit a pole and mm-hmm. my sister was um, a couple hundred yards away and heard a crash and had a feeling it was me and um, mm-hmm. had somebody run down the street to see if it was my car and it was. And, um, you know, it, was, it caused absolute trauma for her. It was a terrible day for this to happen. I don't want to say too much about it, but it was the wrong day. If there was ever a wrong day, it was the wrong day for this to happen. And what I put her through, um, absolutely horrible, gut-wrenching. And she now has PTSD um, and a huge fear about me drinking and hung in there with me for so long while I tried and then failed and then tried and then stumbled and then tried. And I've got it, I got it together this time and then stumbled. And all this time, I lie. When I drink, I lie. I say, okay. I'm not drinking. And I, because I'm so upset that I am, and then I am, I'm not drinking. So they don't know what's going on. They don't know when I'm telling the truth, when I'm not telling the truth. But it's just created a huge mess. And the shame and the guilt are unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't get out of that. I just couldn't get out of that. You're a loser. You're a loser. How could you do this? It wasn't that hitting a pole and causing your family this much pain enough. You know, what? what's wrong with you? Um, and mm. I couldn't get out of that loop as much as I tried. Okay, so so are you still in that loop? No. <laughs> no. Um, I don't talk about this very often, but about a year ago there was a time where I caught myself writing notes in my phone. I was writing a goodbye note to one of my siblings. And then I started writing like a generic goodbye note to my family about mm-hmm. how I couldn't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't talk about this with many people. Um, oh, I'm so I'm so proud of you for being so authentic and brave. 
because these are the story. You can't heal it if you don't feel it. And when you speak something that's this deep and this private, you ask, you invite others to come out of the dark. So keep going. Okay, so um, I couldn't believe it. Like the next day I thought, wow, what are you thinking? You know, you can't do that. You can't mm-hmm. do that. You can't do that because of your faith in God. You can't do mm-hmm. that because you I mean, there were so many reasons you can't do that because this lady you live with trusts you. I mean, there were obviously millions of reasons, mostly mostly God. Mm-hmm. That is not what he wants you to do. And that mm-hmm. was my bottom. I lost my soul. Oh. I, and that's when everything changed. Mm. When people talk about hitting bottom, is that what happened? Yes, definitely. It scared me mm. so badly that it was like God said, I'm not done with you yet. You have a reason why you're on this earth. You go mm-hmm. do everything. Often it was um, told to me that, you know, do contrary action. So I went, and, and by the way, I had friends that supported me through all of this, even when I was mm. relapsing. Never, they never gave up on me, and I know some of them were very upset and had a reason to be very upset with me. But um, we figured out a way for me to attend more meetings. Um, I, I don't know if I should be saying all this, but my girlfriend, one of my close girlfriends, it was her parents I was living with, and she just said, what do we need to do? Your life is too important. We need to change mm-hmm. this. So um, I started attending meetings. I got a home meeting. I asked the most, uh, the lady that ruffled my feathers the most in a meeting once, I asked her to sponsor me. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Yep. And I just attended more groups and um, I just dove in. Um, Mm. I dove into my faith. I dove into uh, personal growth, um, growing emotionally, mentally in every way. I just really, that's what I've been focusing on. And that bottom, it was like all those tools I've been learning all those years through relapse that weren't quite in sync. I I used to say it's like I'm trying to put the gear shift in gear, and it's so close, but I just can't get it in. It was like I felt like I was so close all the time. That's why I'd say I'm doing really well, and then I'd fall. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. I really was. I was getting better. But that after that, it was like it went, it just slid into gear. I got ground. I, everything changed. Um, Not only did we go through the passing of the woman that I was living with, or then um, one of my very, very best friends passed. And Mm -hmm. I was walk through both of those deaths and, um, and be there, really be present and do what I needed to do. And since then, it's like been around me, but they're not, they're not shaking me off that I'm, I'm grounded. And I know what to do now. All the tools I learned, I'm using now. I feel things. I process them. I let them hurt. I talk to somebody, and then I can move through them and let them go. Wow, but that's took, huge. To get here. Oh. Yeah, it took a do long you believe time. That, do you believe there can be trust again after you have lied all those times? 
Um, I, I believe there can be. Um, unfortunately, they don't live around here, so they don't see the shift, you know, and they've heard this whole song and dance so many times. I, you know, how, why would they believe it this time? They'd have to be around me, I think. So all I can do is keep doing what I'm doing. Um, mm-hmm. But in the meantime, I think, you know, a lot, some of the other part of that trust is there's a lot of anger and resentment towards me now. So I, I can't fix that for them, unfortunately. I wish I could. I don't know how they're going to get through that. I have mm-hmm. offered one of my siblings and not interested. Um, you know, I wish I could get somebody in the family to go to a 12-step program and try to understand mm-hmm. a little you know, that I can't do any of that. So all I can do is keep doing what I'm doing and pray. Pray for yeah. softening of their hearts and pray that they see the shift in me. I, I don't know if they're ready. And it's really, I got to I gotta remember that it's none of my business if they're ready. All I can do is keep trying and stay, keep my side of the street clean. Mm-hmm. And hope and pray. It's in God's mm-hmm. hands. It's the old, I can't, he can, let him. I just, mm-hmm. I'm have so you blessed forgive, all these friends just support you, me. Go ahead. Have you forgiven yourself? Yes. Well, and that was what it was all tied into that shame and guilt and shame and guilt. I couldn't get out of it. I had to forgive myself first. I had to, so I could stay sober. I had to. Let that me, doesn't mean I get it or I'm off the hook, so to speak. But I forgive myself. Yes, I do. Yeah. Um, I understand. Do you, believe, do you believe that everything happens for a reason? I don't want to, but I do. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, really? What would the reason for that be? But I do think oftentimes when you, it's like we live forward, but we learn backwards. I think oftentimes mm-hmm. you do years later think, oh, you know what? Now I get why that happened. I hope someday yeah. I understand why that happened, but I don't know if I will or, you know, yeah. I don't. I don't. I'm not sure that we need to understand. I think we just need to be showing up to life with the best we've got and trust that, you know, when we do things that hurt other people, but our intentions are not, you know, one of the things I learned by having alcoholic children is that I, and I, I think I can relate to your family. Your family wants to be guaranteed that you are not going to do anything that is going to break their hearts. Mm-hmm. The bottom line is they have to learn how to deal with their own brokenheartedness. I had to own that my heart was broken because that belongs to me. I could not put that on my children. You broke my heart. No, you broke your own heart. And that affected me. But to put that on them, I I had to make friends with my own heartache so that they could make friends with theirs. And I think your family is in a place where they are so afraid of their own pain that all they want is for you to get better so they don't have to hurt anymore. Make sense? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So 
when everything you have done hasn't healed the broken relationships, what keeps your hope alive? Well, first of all, the way my friends have have changed, not changed, they never gave up on me ever. But, you know, like Mm. I said, some of them were obviously upset. The other day, I I said something about picking somebody up in the rain, and then I thought, oh, I wonder if they're okay with me driving. And, you know, I I, I didn't think they had a problem, but I'll still check and say, by the way, are are you okay with me driving? Are you concerned about my sobriety? And she said, no, not at all. Um, and my friends will be the type that will say, okay, if, if I were to drink, okay, what now? What are we going to do now? What are you going to do? Mm. Right there with me. And they do trust me, and they, they see the shift. They see the shift. They call it a spiritual awakening or a spiritual experience, and not to sound all woo-woo for some people that don't know what I'm talking about, but it's when there's just a shift in your mindset and mm-hmm. things change. And that's what happened. It, things really did change. And I, I'm in a better place than I've been in my entire life right now, except mm. for my family. But, and I, I, well, but again, it's about my core. It's about the peace inside. Circumstances around me can be difficult, but I'm centered. Yeah. And to it, have friends that see the shift really mm-hmm. does remind you that although family may not be able to see it and trust it, that. That doesn't mean that you aren't doing what you need to do. Right. That you, you get to own who you are today. Your family knows you from a long time ago. So my, my next question is just um, when you, okay, what can you share with our listeners today when mm-hmm. they want to strike back at those who are not ready mm-hmm. to forgive? Um, you know, that feeling of you wish you could shake them and you're, you're angry yeah. at them for not getting, what, yeah. what would you say to our listeners who want to punch their family members in the head? <laughs> well, first of all, it is tricky, that trust thing, because I can't step into their anger or their resentment because that brings me back into my shame and guilt. So okay. I have to keep a healthy distance myself now from them, which sounds so ridiculous, like, I'm keeping my distance from them, but I do have to while they heal. Um, mm-hmm. But I, that would only exacerbate things. Why would I do that? I caused all this. You know what I mean? I'm the, I was the initial cause of all the problems. So what the heck, who am I to yell at them? I can't right. step into it. Yell at me. I can't be there, but no, they, I just, that would just make it worse. Why would I want to make it worse if I'm trying to rebuild trust? I have to be understood to God. That's that's my higher power. Please, God, mm-hmm. let me pause, bite my tongue, and and not do that. That's not going to help anything. All right. Where does gratitude fit in your daily practice? Well, I start my day off every day with Alexa, play Counting My Blessings. <laughs> That's how my day starts. It's a great song. Um, I'm all about gratitude. I, I feel like my life is so blessed right now, and I feel like I have a future. And I'm even older, and I think my life's just beginning. I, I've got I've got stuff to do now, and I'm not sure what that is exactly. It may be something in hospice. I, I don't know where I'm going, but I feel really bright about the future, and um, I'm I'm thankful every day that he turned this around for me. Um, 
my gosh, I, I'm a very positive person typically, and I'm just joyful inside and looking forward to the future again. And that's awesome. That is so awesome. Good. That is that is a, a brand new start. You know, that ah. is, um, you know, coming out of the dark. And so, so let me ask you if you, well, first of all, just in case our listeners may want to reach out to you after the show or have any questions, are you okay yes. with them reaching out? Absolutely. That's okay. probably what I do right now. <laughs> of course. Okay. With my future. How would you like them to contact you? Through email would be best. Okay. And, and what is your email, email address? It is H, as in Henry, Julie, okay. which is U-L-I-E, 055 at gmail.com. Okay. And so love really is the answer, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, yes. I, it really, love I truly it. feel blessed, so blessed. And, and that might sound weird to people. Like if they looked at my track record, they'd think, really? She thinks she's blessed? Yes, I am. Mm. Yes, I am. But I, I, I think that's, I, you know, when we have a choice to beat ourselves up or we have a choice to let God heal us, as long as we participate, as long as we do our part, I mean, truly, that is the greatest gift that we can give ourselves first and those we love is to, to learn to love ourselves so that we can start to give from our overflow instead of from our woundedness. Yes. Okay. Yes. So um, that's ah. pretty much our show today. Julie, you did great. Thank you for being <laughs> here and being authentic and open for- and real. Uh. Thank you, Susan, very much for asking me. I conquered a fear. Woo-hoo. You did. You totally did. So I'd like to give a special thanks to all of our listeners, both in the U.S. and internationally, because we are an international show. After our show today, you can listen to Woman Lead Radio on all subscriptions in podcasts, specifically Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google, Podcast, and iHeartRadio. It has been my sincere pleasure to be your host today. Thank you for listening and have a great week. And to our listeners out there, please don't give up hope and know you are not alone on your journey. Women Leading the Way is produced by Connected Women of Influence the premier private membership organization where like-focused, business-to-business executive and professional women connect, collaborate, and cultivate a vast network of high-level affiliations, resources, and professional relationships. For more information about Connected Women of Influence, please visit our website at connectedwomenofinfluence.com.